Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Faith Worship Center's weekly sermon. We hope you are inspired and encouraged by this week's message as we all live to bring more of heaven to earth. Well, good morning, everyone. Bless you this morning. I hope you're all having a good day. I know that many of you asked about my uh, my mom, um, and I just have a wonderful testimony to share about her. You know I went out a month ago because they thought she was dying. And so um, I went out there to see her, and she just was not doing a guy. I'd never seen my mom like that. She just was not doing well at all. Um, hardly even knew who I was when I walked in the door. And I just thought, oh, no, this isn't good. And so... You know, I walked in and I sat and talked with her and she said, oh, son, thank you for coming to see me. Pray for me. She grabbed my hands and put my hands on her and I prayed for her. And um, she never really bounced back. She was just not still not doing good, sleeping all day, hardly remembering conversations or anything. And I was like, oh, boy, so. Um, you know, met with my sisters and talked, and my dad is extremely worried and concerned and all that, and oh my gosh, it was, I think it was last Friday or last Thursday that my sister sent me a text and said, Mom's doing a lot better. And I said, really? And she goes, yeah, she's like, it's like a miracle. She's done a complete turnaround. And I listen, you have to hear this because it's, uh, my mom was diagnosed with Alzheimer's well over 15 years ago. And she's been on medications to the hilt. Uh, one time she was on 15 medications for various reasons. And um, we've been slowly reducing that. And my sister finally said, well, we finally said, we don't think mom has Alzheimer's. If she did for that long of time, she wouldn't remember anybody. She, we'd all be gone from her mind. And so my sister decided to take her off of her. My sister's a lot like me. She, she decided to take her off of her Alzheimer's medicines that she'd been on all that time. Yeah. And within days, she started remembering anything. She started remembering stuff within days. She started helping my dad in the kitchen. She, she wasn't sleeping all day, and she had been sick every day that I had been there. She complained about nausea, stomach ache, all that kind of stuff. All that went away. She's doing amazing. So this week, I'm, I'm going about, you know, I'm going about the, the business of work and all that, and all of a sudden, I get a call, and I look at my phone, and it's my dad calling. And I thought, oh, dad's calling. So I Hey, Dad. And he, she goes, no, this is your mom. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. I don't remember the last time my mom called. It's been that long. And she called me. We had a really nice conversation. And I just hung up the phone and said, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Wow. Very excited. I just I, I want to encourage you with that testimony because if, if anybody is struggling with something that they've been struggling with a long time, I believe we've entered in the spirit, we've entered to a new realm of healing and a new realm of miraculous. And um, I'm going to share a little bit about that today, surprisingly. Um, any of you that have been here for a long period of time, you know that's pretty much our heart. We just love the miraculous. We love the supernatural. We love grace. We love love. 
We love Jesus. And um, so Ephesians chapter 1, if we can go there, I'm going to um, begin a, a, a series on Ephesians. I don't know how long this will last. I really don't. This is just the first stage, the first part of it. And I love the book of Ephesians. I've often said about the book of Ephesians that if it was the only book in the Bible that we had, you could almost live off of it. I mean, it's just a, such an amazing book with revelation, with wisdom from heaven, and uh, just tells us of our identity and our our um, future and our goings forth and our comings from who we are, what we belong. And I looked in the back row back there and I saw a young girl who I haven't seen in a long time. Bev, how you doing, girl? Bev used to be with us years ago. She moved to Rhode Island and uh, apparently she's just here visiting, so it's good to see her and I, I love embarrassing her every time I see her anyway. So. Um, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus, and faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Wonderful scripture. It goes on to uh, go into. I had to. I had to find a place to cut it off because there's a lot of commas in this, these first uh, several verses, and I, I figured I'd cut it off there, and we'll continue on uh, in the series. But I, I just want to uh, start this out because he is writing this church in Ephesus, and um, I wanted to dive right into how the church actually begun in Ephesus, because unlike other recordings that we have of church starts and church plants, uh, the book of Acts reveals very much uh, how Ephesus began and how it started. So I'd like you to turn to Acts chapter 19. There's going to be a lot of reading that I do. Um, I, I just I feel like it's very important to lay this foundation for, especially for this first uh, introduction to the, the uh, church at Ephesus. Acts chapter 19, verse 1. And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus and finding some disciples, he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, we have not even so much as heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, then into what baptism were you baptized? And they said, John's. And then Paul said, indeed, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, uh, just paraphrase this a little bit here, when they heard this, they were absolutely stunned. What? You mean the Messiah has come? Amazing. Remember, he's not near Jerusalem, he's in Asia. And so they've only been baptized in John's baptism, which is a baptism of repentance. They had not even heard about Jesus that he had come. They'd not even heard about the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit. So they said, this is what they said. I'll continue on. That's my paraphrase all over. And so they, uh, uh, they were baptized. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Verse 6. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them. And they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now the men were about 12 in all. Now this is the first church service that happened at Ephesus. This is how it all began. This is the beginning. And then Paul went to the synagogue and he spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. 
But when some were hardened and did not believe, they spoke evil of the way before the multitude. And he departed from them and withdrew the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. And this continued for two years, so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greek. Amazing story of the the beginning of the church in Ephesus. And I find it very, uh, very key in how how Paul was like, he he didn't come in like a bull in the china shop, but he actually was reasoning with people for two years. He he instructed, he taught, he reasoned, he he gave them evidences, he provided for them the witness of the scriptures, and he provided for them something that they would have a a, a, a grip on. And these twelve disciples, these guys that had been baptized in John's baptism. These guys had a foundation of who the Messiah was. They had a foundation of the Old Covenant. They had a foundation. That was their foundation. Paul comes in, and he hears where they're at. And he, as as an apostle, he lays hands upon them. And they all start speaking in tongues. And they all start prophesying. What a church service. I mean, who did they prophesy over? There's 12 of them there. They're all speaking in tongues. And they're all prophesying. What were they prophesying? How were they prophesying? What did that look like? There's a lot of things that we can probe to look into this. But this is their beginnings. This is how they started. They started with with a powerful encounter with the Holy Spirit coming upon them. They had already had the Spirit in them. But the Holy Spirit comes upon them, and as He comes upon them, they begin speaking in tongues, they begin prophesying. They probably look like they're out of their minds. You have to picture this, 12 guys, probably in a circle, and there Paul is, laying hands on them, and they're all just going off their rockers. And if any stranger were to walk by and hear them all talking in tongues in, in, a, in a different language, and hear them prophesying, they would have probably thought they were the kooks down the road that had just gotten out of the insane asylum. The reason that I'm laying all this for a backdrop is because we're going somewhere with this and I want to show you something about this church before we get to the conclusion. The first thing that I want to show you is that when the power of the Holy Spirit came upon them, they begin to not just look peculiar, but a transition that happened inside of them that completely changed the dynamics of who they had understood themselves to be. They had been baptized into a baptism of repentance, which means these guys were probably always repenting for their sins over and over and over again. They probably couldn't do anything right. They might have felt like they had to walk on eggshells with God constantly because all they knew was the law. And under the law, you could never really get it right. You were always in the wrong. And so these guys were always making transitions of repentance. Oh God, I blew it again. Whatever, however that might look and however that came into. That's where they were. And as soon as the Holy Spirit comes upon them, they now are moved into the reality of God has chosen you guys since the foundation of the earth. Before the foundation of the earth were laid, He chose you for the specific moment, for the specific time, to be in Christ Jesus. And they connect with that. The power of the Holy Spirit comes over them. And they begin to get a new identity. They begin to get the shape of who they've really been destined to be. 
They're starting to grow in the kingdom. They're, they're following Paul now. Paul has 12 disciples right away, right at the start from this one encounter. And they start following him. And so they go into the synagogue. And it's the second thing I want to point out is that the preaching of the gospel is not going to just... It's going to stir hunger in people, but it's not just going to stir hunger. It's also going to stir, stir up... Stern. It's also going to stir up a lot of complaining and a lot of grumbling and a lot of people feeling left out. Why does that happen? Why does it stir that up? Because like, like anything else, if you're in a group of people and there's some people getting a whacked out blessing from heaven and not everybody is having the same experience, after, and it says this, a few months, after a few months, the people not having the experience are going to feel left out and feel a little jealous. I know, like, what happened to me? Doesn't God like me? And what are they doing? They're looking in the natural and they're seeing physical evidence and they're comparing themselves with what they're seeing and they're saying, man, I, I'm missing the boat here. Something is wrong and it can't be me. It's got to be the leadership. It's got to be Paul. It's got to be these 12 guys that he's raising up. It's got to be them. And it's very interesting. They're having the power of God come upon them. It's the first church service in Ephesus. It's in power. It's in glory. It's in prophetic utterance. And it's in the utterance of the spirit language, heavenly language, speaking in tongues. Power of God is there. The wisdom of God is being downloaded. I'm sure these guys are getting downloads from heaven. They're, getting, they're catching grace. They're catching mercy. They're catching the heart of the Father. They're catching the love of Christ, who He is, what He sacrificed, what He offered for us. And there's download that is taking place. And at the same time, there's a hardening in some. I don't know if you understand this, but that presents two different groups in the same house. Which leads to the third point. Paul just said, we can't function here, let's go. I don't want these people that are hardened in their hearts to affect my 12 disciples. We're going. And they went. And where did they go? They just went to another synagogue. Somewhere, maybe across town or somewhere in another, another area close by. But they go to this other synagogue and Paul begins to reason with them. And what ends up happening? That group of people aren't hardening their hearts. They're hearing this gospel and they're being changed and they're being transformed. And so all, until all of the Greeks, after two years, all of the Greeks and all the Jews in that region had heard the presentation of the gospel. And not just heard it, but seen it. They saw the infilling of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit come upon them, transitions that are happening in people. You know, when you, when you get in contact with the power of the Holy Spirit, when you have an encounter with the power of the Holy Spirit, you get changed, don't you? You get transformed. Transformation happens. Things begin to stir. And that's what's beginning to take place. And I find that there's, it's very interesting that there's a boundary line to unity that Paul is not willing to cross. It's like he could have 
stayed in that first group where there's hardening of hearts and there's probably complaining going on and there's probably all this talk, jibber jabber. I mean, people are pretty much the same in every generation. And he could have probably stayed in that same group and tried to, tried to do something, tried to accomplish something. But you know what he did? He said, no, I can't get there. That's not unity to me. That's, that's not the kind of unity that God is endorsing. The only kind of unity that we're ever going to have from heaven is based upon the power of the Holy Spirit and based upon every spiritual blessing that's been given to us in the heavenly places. And that's the kind of unity that was necessary. Verse 11. Continue on in Acts. Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick and diseases left them with evil spirits and the evil spirits went out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists... Now, let me just stop and just add something before I, before I go here. The handkerchiefs that are being brought to him. This is, not, this is the first instance that this is ever written in Scripture, that handkerchiefs are actually brought to him. He's laying hands on the handkerchiefs. People are taking the handkerchiefs, putting them back on their sid, putting them back on the sick people, putting them back on demon-possessed people, and the demons are leaving, and the sick is, sickness is leaving, and people are getting healed, and they're getting delivered, they're getting set free. They're probably getting filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues and prophesying. I mean, that's pretty much what was going on. That's how the church of Ephesus started. The, the thing of the handkerchief thing, I, I have one story to share about that. My wife and I went to, went to Greece. We were in Athens doing a meeting in Greece years ago. And we were teaching on the power of the Holy Spirit. We were teaching on the power of healing. We were teaching on the miraculous signs and wonders that, that uh, Jesus never stopped performing, by the way. And this is not past. We're not in a different disposition of the church to where now we no longer need miracles. Now we no longer need signs and wonders. He, basically, he, we were teaching all of this at this group at Athens. And the very last meeting, we offered to pray for people. And little did we expect all 400 people to want to be prayed for. But they did. They all lined up. And you know what they were doing? They had brought t-shirts and socks and different garments from home. And they wanted my wife and I to lay hands on those garments so they could take them back to their loved ones. And we, we were so humbled by their, by their gesture and by their, their faith. To know that this happened once for Paul. And to know that it was something that took place. And then to see it actually carried out to us. These people were like, they had heard the teaching. They had sat in these meetings. And they had come bringing their handkerchiefs. And they had come bringing their uh, clothing. And, and my wife and I are standing up in the front praying for all these people. And they're bringing these garments. And we just felt so absolutely humbled. And afterward, exhausted. But that's beside the point. So I want to jump into, I want to jump into this in uh, verse 13. And then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists. Now this is a very interesting passage that I'm going to unload here. That's, uh, that's written and recorded right here. It's very interesting. It's very curious to me. The itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of Jesus or to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, We exercise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. 
Also, there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest who did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, Paul I know, but who are you? And then the men in whom the evil spirit was leaped upon them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. I, I read this story and I wonder, what kind of exorcism were they doing before they tried using the name of Jesus? To where it obviously wasn't bothering demons. I mean, the best could be said that they were probably psychologists counseling people. Helping troubled souls through a difficult time. But they definitely weren't bothering the demons. And as soon as they they try using the name of Jesus that Paul is preaching, they get whacked and beat up. And that just presents to me something that I find... uh, I find it interesting enough to talk about is that when it comes to the power of the Holy Spirit, when it comes to seeing signs and wonders and miracles, you can't copy this stuff. If you try to copy it, you're going to get hurt. Something along the line is going to affect you. This is about an encounter with the Holy Spirit, an encounter with the power of God that actually transforms your life, revolutionizes the way you think, the way you've been acting, the way you've been considering God and how you've been operating under God, it actually transforms you to such a state that you don't need to copy anything because He's flowing through you and you know He is. It's just, to me, I feel like for us right now in this time and frame where we're living right now today. We have thousands of years of schemes of men trying to copy things of the gospel, trying to replicate what was, trying to manipulate, motivate. We've all lived through serious, serious things where, where leaders, high name profile people have fallen and have found out, you know, we find out that they've been living corruptly. We've all lived through that kind of stuff. And we've all lived through this tension of being somehow uh, deceived or somehow hooked into something. And we've all lived with this kind of thing. And we have all of that that we have to like sort through in order to bring ourselves back to the authentic simplicity of the nature of a father God who loves us so much as his kids. That all we really need to do is remain dependent on Him. Forget about copying this stuff. Forget about techniques used. Okay, there's something that we always were bothered with with uh, what's known as the faith movement. Is that it seems like if you had the formula down, then you got things done for you. But if you miss something in the formula, it wouldn't happen, and that's why things don't happen. And we heard years ago, you know, when, when someone would get prayed for and they didn't get healed. And the person that had just prayed for them said, well, you just didn't have enough faith or you got sin in your life or you did something wrong. I don't, I don't necessarily tie into that kind, of, that kind of thing. I tie into the fact that there's been lost a simplicity. There's been lost something. Something has been lost. Something has been like ripped out of believers' culture 
to make us feel like and to make us think that we're lacking something or missing something or something has to be uncovered more or something has to be researched more or something has to be preached more or taught more. When there's just a simplicity of the apostle laying his hands upon the twelve and the power of the Holy Spirit come upon them. They're speaking in tongues and they're prophesying and signs and wonders are beginning to flow and beginning to happen. Just that simple. That's something that we should be uniting around. And instead, I find it ironic that in the modern uh, world today, whenever speaking in tongues gets talked about, you're on sketchy ground, right? And you're kind of one of those tongues people, you know. And I mean, there there are certain, you know, certain streams out there who believe that, you know, if you speak in tongues, you're demon-possessed. And there's some people that still teach that. And it's like, okay, wait a minute. This is the first church service in Ephesus, and that's exactly what happened. They spoke in tongues and they prophesied. So how did tongues get to be a bad thing? Well, I think some of the people that got a little bit hardened about over the gospel got a little offended and they created their own ideas. And I'm just saying the power of the Holy Spirit and every spiritual gift in the heavenly places, that's God's idea. Not ours. It's His. We just get to tap into it. And what a great blessing when we do. (laughs) Verse 17. So I say all that. Just don't try to copy techniques. Fall in love with Jesus all over again. Just, just, Just ask the Holy Spirit. Fill me with your power. You know, I, 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 you know, maybe I've been walking on my own. I'm all frustrated as heck, and I don't know which way is up, which way is down anymore. Just fill me with your power, Holy Spirit. Come and move on me. Good prayer. All right. Verse 17. This became known to all the Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, and the fear and fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified, and many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. Also, many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all, and they counted up the value of them, and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver, so that the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. As a leader for all these years doing this, going on our 34th year, I believe it is. As a leader doing this for all these years, I have felt the pressure and the tension that exists on on the expectations that I have. I've, I've, uh, I've, I've had to inwardly laugh at people who come from other churches and after they're here for a few months, they approach me and say, you know, our, our pastor at the other church, he taught like this, he preached like that, he did this, he did that. And I just have to just kind of smile inside and understand the the nature of humanity. But I just say, I I don't want to say to them, to their face, if it was so good, why'd you leave? 
But the reality is, is like some of that does exist and it's like, it's just a reality and we've experienced it, but we feel that tension. We've felt that tension over the years and it's like, I can only be who I am. I can't, I can't be, you know, you try following in the footsteps of Bill Johnson. You just try that because I've had people throw at him, you know, well, Bill Johnson, he says this, you know, and I just have to, I just have to think I'm not Bill Johnson. He's my brother-in-law, and he's a great man of God, and he's a powerful apostle, and I love him dearly, but I'm not him. And my wife isn't either, but she's close, (laughs) real close. So real quickly... Paul experienced this when he lays when he partnered with the power of the Holy Spirit. He experienced a hunger for the gospel and changed lives. Those that didn't have an encounter grew hard. The third thing was that they're opportunistic copycats. And the fourth thing, which we haven't talked about, But the fourth thing that Paul experienced in the first church in Ephesus is turmoil in the culture. A complete uprising in the culture as a result of the preaching of the power of the Holy Spirit and the gospel of Jesus Christ. A riot broke out. We're not going to go into that. It does tell the story in Acts chapter 19, but what ended up happening is that some businessmen in town who made money off the goddess Diana uh, was basically, they were losing profits and they basically started stirring things up about Paul and talking about those 12 guys that he was raising up, going around teaching in the synagogues and, and started complaining and a whole riot broke out in the region. Uh, guess what? You know, that, that kind of tells me, these four things kind of tell me that the gospel isn't really a bed of roses. If you thought it was a bed of roses where all the roses grow without thorns, you kind of like don't have a good understanding of what the gospel really is. Because the gospel is a gospel of the power of the kingdom of God. And the power of the kingdom of God goes forth. And the violent come and they take it by force and they, they pull it into their reality. And when the kingdom of God starts being pulled into the reality of our cultures, culture is going to shift and culture is going to change. And often that changing culture turns against the power of the kingdom of God and against the power of the Holy Spirit. Often, not all the time. I believe that's why we have revivals and why we have uh, reformations is because reformation basically changes the culture so much that they start moving towards the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. So I'm, I'm saying all of this because within, within Paul's ministry, within this time that he's in Ephesus, he's got several things going on. And one of them is that people are getting hungry. They're experiencing the encounter of the Holy Spirit and the power of God. And they're growing. And they're, they're doing fantastic in the kingdom. And they're, they're, they're listening to Paul teach. And they're growing. And they're uh, you know, encouraging each other. They're prophesying over each other. They're, they're laying hands on the sick. And the sick are healed. And the, the Demons are fleeing out of people and, and running left and right to get away from Jesus because Jesus was in the house. He was in the region. 
And because Jesus is in the region, there's some hardening of hearts going on. And there's some uh, complaining that's going on. And there's, there's um, you know, some difficulty. And at the same time, there are people that are embracing it. The gospel's beginning to grow and the church is beginning to grow and things are beginning to happen. And then a riot breaks out just to add a little dessert. We get a riot. The gospel. And I, I will clarify this. It's not the gospel creating the riot. It's people's reaction to the gospel that's creating the, the turmoil and a riot. But it breaks out. And I, I'm saying all of this because Paul, as much as he wanted to enter the fray, all right, he really, you read about the story in 19. He wants to go into the midst of the riot to calm everybody down. And thankfully, he surrounded himself with some good leaders who said, you are not going to do that because you won't come out alive. And they forced him. I would like to know what that looked. How do you hold back an apostle who lays hands upon you? The power of the Holy Spirit comes on you. Signs and wonders begin operating out of you. Your life is completely transformed. How do you hold that kind of a person back? Well, you better have some of the power of the Holy Spirit in you too. And I think that's how it happened. Because the Holy Spirit saying, Paul's not your time yet. Listen to these guys. They know what's best for you. So they take him and they, they get him out of the area. And then a, a community guy comes into the midst of the riot. And he settles everybody down. Calms them all down. It's all, all back to good. And the reason I'm saying this is because unity is something that we uh, looked at back in the beginning of 2020. We, we said that this is going to be a year of unity. This is going to be a time of unity. And I'm saying all that because Bill mentioned it. Bill Vanderbush mentioned it last week when he was here. He, he just touched upon it. He said, unity is not agreement. It's not, you know, it's not agreeing with everybody and everybody thinking the same, acting the same, doing the same. Unity is not always agreement. But you can better believe that unity in the kingdom of God, a unity in God's kingdom, has to come around the power of the Holy Spirit and people having encounters with the power of God and the power of the kingdom. And this is what Paul didn't do. Paul didn't sit there and say, we need to, you know, we need to unite everybody so that we're all thinking the same and all being the same. He did not cross that boundary. I find it very interesting that in Ephesians chapter 4, in verse 1, he says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling in which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, enduring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one, baptize, one baptism, one God, one Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in all. This is, this is what he's saying. He's saying unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Of the spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, partnering with the power of, and the kingdom of God, partnering with with the God who still performs miracles and still performs wonders. Who when I walk into the house of my mom and she says, pray for me, son, and takes my hands and put my hand on her head to pray for her. What is she doing? She's partnering with the power of the kingdom of God. 
I'm not saying that my prayer changed her. I'm saying that more than likely that faith that she had to grab a hold of the kingdom, to grab it and pull it into where her reality was, is where our unity is going to come from. It is not going to come from agreement. It's going to come from uniting with what Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 1, that we have been given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Every. How many know every means? means everything. It's not, it's not like when your teenager says, you never let me do anything. Okay, that's not the every. It's everything. It's, it's like everything you could ever imagine, everything you could ever dream, everything you could ever hope for, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places belongs to us. It's been given to us. One hope, one calling, one unity. And I'm going to wrap it up with this. I, I Initially, I was going to tell you, I'm not going to keep you long today. I'll have you out before midnight. But I decided that wouldn't be a proper introduction. I am going to close with this. Because this is how the church started in Ephesus, okay? In Revelations chapter 2, verse 1, John sits down, he's on the Isle of Patmos, he's having a vision of heaven, he gets a message directly from Jesus, and this is what he says to the church of Ephesus. To the angel, well, to the angel of the church of Ephesus, to the angel of the church of Ephesus write, these things says he who holds the seven stars in the right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstones, lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. You have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and you have found them to be liars. You have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. It pretty much describes a lot of churches today, doesn't it? I mean, this is pretty much where we can unite around our our Christian brothers and sisters. But then he says, nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Ah, interesting. You have left your first love. We just discovered what their first love was. It's what they were born into in the church of Ephesus. Paul coming in, laying hands on them, the power of the Holy Spirit falls upon them. They speak in tongues, they prophesy signs and wonders, casting out demons, probably raising the dead. All that kind of stuff, the power of God, the power of the kingdom, creating a turmoil in culture, creating, uh, 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 creating something that's so powerful that, it's, that people in the world are taking attention. They're looking at it. They're going, holy smokes, what is going on with this group? It's world-changing stuff. He's saying, you've left that. Something, something that you've left behind here. And this is what it is, your first love. And he says, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent but this you have that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans now I, I just have to say when I first became a Christian and I first stumbled across this passage and read it I didn't like the idea that my name was actually in the book of Revelation <laughs> in such a bad light 
My last name's Nicolette, for those of you who don't know. But uh, when I read that, I, have, have, you ever, have you ever noticed that when you're reading the Bible, sometimes the devil's just sitting on your shoulder, and he's more than willing to throw a curveball at you over something you read? You ever notice that? And even though it's a small thing, uh, today to me it is a small thing, at the time it was huge. I, I found myself having to repent of being a Nicolette, right, in, in the spot. I'm serious about this. I'm not, this is not exaggeration. I, I felt so convicted, oh my God, this must have been my ancestors. And they changed my name now, but maybe it was Nicolaitans in the beginning. Nicolaitans or whatever. Because I hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Verse 7, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. The, the word repentance has, I feel like we have thousands of years of wrong interpretation of that word that we have to work through so that whenever we hear it, we automatically think of beating our chest, pouring ashes on our head, ripping our garments, whatever. And it's like uh, the word in the Greek actually just means to turn into. Okay, so it's like obviously they've departed from their first love and, and the, this Lord is saying, just, just come back to your first love. Just come back. R- remember your first love. Recall your first love. Recall what was happening in the beginning. You've got a lot of good things going for you right now. It's true. There's a lot of great things going on in you. But there's one thing that, you know, isn't right. It's return to your first love. And it's that simple. Could you stand together with me? It really is that simple. I mean, the gospel is a a very simple thing. And it's based upon, okay, it's based upon not the things that we do, but it's based on what he has done for us. And if we've moved away from what he's done for us, then we get to simply shift ourselves back in. I'm going to pray for you guys today. Is that okay? I'm just going to pray the Lord's blessing on you. It's already been given. It's already been. There's a, there's a good amount of you here. We pulled up the parking lot this morning at 10 of and thought, oh my gosh, is anybody even going to show up today? But thankfully you came. <laughs> and you're here. And I just have good news for you. We are going places. The power of the Holy Spirit is moving and flowing through you. I cancel and break off all fear over your life that you would no longer have to walk in fear and live in fear and think fearful thoughts, but that you would think the positive thoughts of the kingdom of God, that you would think the thoughts that belong to his heart, that there would be a a redirecting of your heart, your mind, your soul, and your spirit to your first love. If any of you have come far from that place, just realize that he will never leave you and he will never forsake you. He's always faithful and always hears when we call to him. Father, bless your house, bless your people. I just thank you for this great group. We have seen signs and wonders in this group, Lord. I just want to thank you for the miracles 
that you continue to show us, the healings that you continue to bring, the power of God that lives in this house. I want to thank you, God, that you are continually working for us and in us and through us. I feel like the Spirit of the Lord right now would just, would just say this to, to you as a church, to you as a people, to you who are in this region, in this area. I feel like the Spirit of the Lord would, would just say this today. Continue to move towards my kingdom and release my power in this region. Amen. Because you know, he believes in you. He really does. He believes in you. You've been chosen for a time like this. And this is, this is the day where uh, Christian stardom is, is not going to be around much longer. But you guys become the stars that shine bright. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this week's message. If you'd like more information about our church, visit faithworship.org.